God's been so good to us. Man, he's been so gracious to us. It's about time we be good to him. It's about time we be good to him. He's blessed us. He's taken care of us. Everything we have comes from his hand. He created us. He gave us life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created male and female. He created life. And he's got a plan and a purpose for our life. If you just open up your eyes and hearts, you look around, you see a creation. There's a creator. You see a design of this world, even to the human body. There's a designer. And God let us know what he's like in his word. The word of God is God's word. And he tells us where we came from, who we are, where we're going. When we leave this place. And what we decide about Jesus Christ on this earth will determine where you and I spend eternity. The Bible teaches that. You reject Jesus Christ on this earth, hell is your final destination for eternity. You accept and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're going to be with him for eternity. Heaven's your eternal home. That's what the Word of God teaches, and we believe that. And we need to be good to God. And we need to, and you, how, how are you good to God? Love God, which means you obey God. Even Jesus says, if you love me, you obey me. And so we call ourselves children of God and followers of Christ, and yet we pick and choose what we want to obey. We really don't love him. We're really not good to him. And we need to confess that and ask God to forgive us and ask God to help us, and he will. And in the message, you can find forgiveness, no more shame, no more guilt. You can have peace and purpose, become part of God's family. You can have heaven as your eternal home. That's the greatest love story in the universe. That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and we get to share that with people. I'm so glad somebody shared it with me when I was a young boy. I shared it with the parents Friday night. And I told them I was just a boy, boy about the age of the children up here, elementary age kids, you know. And somebody loved me enough to share with me the gospel. And that's why it's so important we get out. And that's why we do what we do in the community to, to build, to soften hearts, build relationships with people so we can teach them about Jesus Christ who would change their life. And so we got to get out. And I want, I want to be as a pastor and our church family to be as effective as we can in getting outside here in our community and around the world with the gospel message. And so we've been in this series since February, studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, 20 weeks. And this letter was written to a new church that the Apostle Paul started in the city of Corinth. This letter is so contemporary, even though it's 2,000 years old almost, and it's very relevant. This letter deals with the same issues that we're dealing with in, in, in our church and in churches today. Division, people arguing, fighting, not getting along. Can you believe that? In God's house, a pride in human wisdom, thinking we know better than what God says. And we're going to redefine what God said clearly in his word. Sexual immorality in the church, in the, ch in the church tolerating sin and immorality in the church. Uh, we see the sins of the culture have become the sins of the church. We saw it here in Corinth. You think we'd learn from that? No better. Nope, I still see that today. The sins of the culture have now become the sins of the church. This letter also shows the power of the gospel to change lives because Corinth, that city, was the most wicked city of its time in the Roman Empire. And if Jesus Christ can change lives in that environment, he can surely change lives anywhere and with anyone. And I believe the reason God led me to teach you this book is because, man, our message, the gospel, is so urgent. It's life-changing. Jesus changed my life. He changed many of your lives, gave you hope, and gave you a new beginning, a fresh start. And for us to be as effective and efficient with that message in our community, man, we got to get our own lives together. we got to get our own homes together, our own churches in order. We, I don't believe we have a right to tell somebody else how to get their house in order when ours is a complete mess, you know. And that's why people don't want to listen to us. They hear how you talk. They see what you do. They see what I do. They hear how I talk. 
They watch you. Your family watches you. And all of a sudden, they see how you act and treat people and gossip and talk about people. Now, all of a sudden, you want to tell them about Jesus Christ. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How he'll change your life. And they're saying, wait a minute. You're telling him he'll change my life. I haven't seen a whole lot of change out of your life. And you say you follow him. I'm just being honest, being real. That's what's happening, you know. And so children, our children are watching us. They're watching us. They're catching from us more than they're being taught from us. And so we got to get our act in order. Now, none of us are perfect, and we're never going to be perfect. Even as a Christian, we're sinners saved by the grace of God. But, man, we need to tidy up some things in our life. This is, you know, we're playing games in the church when Satan is playing for real. And so this series, we called it Tidying Up, means to clean up, unclutter your life, get more organized, get focused, keep the main thing the main thing. And so today, I'm going to tidy up, tidying up. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. All right, I'm finishing the series. I'm going to tidy up the series today. You know, and you say, well, you got two chapters left, right? Chapter 15, chapter 16. If you were here on Easter, I did chapter 15. I jumped to the end of the book, remember, and I taught through chapter 15 on Easter. And, and, and you can go back. All these messages are on our website. So you can go on our website and hear the messages. And remember the 11 o'clock service. All the services live streamed on 11 o'clock. You know, all the music, the sermon. Next, next service at 11 o'clock, all our BBS children, the whole children, the BBS children will be on stage singing and sharing. We're going to be sharing some stuff about the money they raised, what they did. All that, so it will be going on at 11 o'clock. But all the services going back a couple weeks are, on our, are still on our website, a Facebook page, I mean. You can hear the sermons on our website, but you can see it live, you know, on face, Facebook, the church Facebook. So we did 15, so now I'm, I'm going to wrap it up in chapter 16. He talks about the resurrection and how important it is. Proves Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He's got the power he said he has. And in chapter 16, he starts talking about offering, about giving money, you know. And you might wonder, how did Paul go from teaching of the resurrection and talking about heaven there in chapter 15 to now talking about giving an offering? Some would say Paul's just a typical preacher. You know, you can go from any subject to, to giving. But, but here's, here's, here's the connection. Paul argued that the resurrection of Jesus Christ should make a practical difference in our life. It, it proves that Jesus Christ is who he said he is and that, man, we can, we can find forgiveness and be spiritually born again and, and we can have heaven as our home. And he told us just knowing that the resurrection could, should cause us to give ourselves fully to the work of the ministry, that we should give ourselves fully to the Lord, that we should do whatever it takes and be sold out because Jesus Christ is real and what he did is real. That means heaven and hell is real. And so we got a job to do. And one of the obvious ways to, to love him with everything we got is to use everything we got for his glory, including money. And, and I, know, I know a message on giving is very uncomfortable. What a way to end, what a way to end this series, you know? But at the same time, money plays a significant role in our lives. And it only makes sense to seek God's wisdom on how to use our money because we have messed it up big time. I say about everything, marriage, sex, money. You want God to bless it, you got to do it his way. Parenting, you want him to bless it, you got to do it his way. And the money we give to God is very significant. I mean, it's a loving act. It's an obedient act. So in chapter 16, it seems like Paul, he abruptly starts by talking about the collection of money for God's people and for ministry. But remember the context of this letter. Paul wrote this letter because that was a brand new church, all kind of issues in the church, and they had all kind of questions. And they, they, they wrote him a letter with questions. He's now responding to the questions that are being raised by the church, by the Corinthians. They wanted clarification even here on money and giving and supporting the ministry. That's how it starts. But there's a lot in this chapter we're going to look at, all right? So we're going to start with chapter 16. If you're able, would you please stand with me in reverence and honor for God's holy word? Look at that last verse of chapter 15. 
if you have your Bible, 58. Therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. See, that's the key. I want you to stand firm. That's the theme he's going to talk about in chapter 16. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Keep doing what God's called you to do. Even if you don't see results, keep doing it because God says his work is never in vain. 16. Now, about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend more time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. Jump down to verse 12. I mean, verse 13. This is a key verse I'm going to hit on too. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You may be seated. This chapter, you can kind of see my headings here. We, this church was a, we, we want to be an effective church. And what's an effective church? You've got to be very thankful and grateful and be a giver. Don't be a taker. Be thankful givers. We've got to be tough-minded in our faith. You know, we're in a post-Christian nation now. God's blessed this nation that at one time was a Christian nation. We're in a post-Christian nation now. And we've got to start thinking like that. I, I, I think like that. I, I tell myself, our church is like the churches in, in the book of Acts. That's how we got to look at how we do ministry. That's why we do so many different types of ministry in Taekwondo on a church campus, you know, martial arts. But it's reaching a lot of kids that will come and day camps and art camps and music camps. And, man, I wish I had that when I was a kid growing up. We didn't. But things are different today. People just don't wander in the church anymore today. You've got to build relationship with people. You've got to earn the right to be heard. And, and so you've got to be thankful givers. You've got to be tough-minded in your faith because the world's telling us what we, what we believe from the Bible is old-fashioned and outdated. But we also got to be tender-hearted. We've got to have a tender heart, you know, and so we've got to balance all that. And we see that here in this last chapter. Thankful givers. Man, they're giving up their gifts. Remember he talked about gifts last week, and God has blessed us as Christians with certain gifts and abilities and passions for certain things. We need to be very grateful and thankful, and we need to give that back. You know, our time, our talents, and also our finances we see here. Why is that? We see there in verse 2. That, you know, there is a great need. And in verse 9, we see there is a great need and opportunity and blessing. You see, verse 2, on the first day of every week, that was Sunday back then. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Verse 3 says, and when you do, we'll give it to men you approve. Remember that, men you approve. Verse 9, why? Because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there are many who oppose me. Here's the point I want you to see. There is a great need, there is a great opportunities, and there's great blessings. There wasn't the Corinth. I mean, Corinth, that's a brand new church. Christianity was brand new. That was the most wicked city in Roman Empire. And now we have this new message of hope and forgiveness, and you can have a fresh start, a do-over through faith and trust in Christ, and he can change anything, any addiction, anything you have, he can change. So there, there, was, there was an open door for them. People were searching. They're lost. They're hopeless. 
Man, I think about us here in Oscillate County and right here where God's put us on this corner. Well, I, 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 I truly believe this. I'm very thankful and very grateful to be a pastor of this church on this corner in this town during 2019. I know things have gotten crazy. Things have changed in the last 34 years, 35 years since I've been here. Things have changed. This town has changed. But I'm very grateful and very thankful because God is bringing the hurting, lost world right here to us. What a great place to be a Christian missionary. What a great place where you can reach people who are hurting. Close to 5,000 homeless children in our county. What a great place to have, great reason too, to have a Christian church that cares about kids. They don't just say it, but we're going to do whatever we can to reach them. Thankful. And we need to be givers. There's great need, there's great opportunity, but God says there's also great blessing, you know, here. And, and see, you know, the reality is finances helps us fund many of the ministries that we do. That's just a fact of life. When you get VBS, we had this week, and our budget for everything cost us probably close to $10,000 for this week. We had KPD. We had police officers here every day, all day long, from 8 o'clock to 5.30, because that's just the environment we live in, where this church is at. We want to make sure our kids are safe. The air being running constantly in all our buildings, security, materials, VBS, snacks for those many kids every single day. I mean, it just costs money to do that kind of stuff. You know, you heard me a couple weeks ago, even our facilities, our air conditioning. I know it doesn't feel it now. It feels good because we've been running our one good air conditioning all night to get it cooled off for you because our other one over here went broke, you know, about a couple weeks ago. We need a new air conditioning unit, $30,000 for that one. We just replaced this one a year ago for $30,000. I mean, it just takes money to do, to do ministry and to do things and have facilities to do ministry. And so I'm just letting you know, you know, it takes money to do what we do. And God, God's word tells us that we should be very grateful and thankful givers. And when you do, it opens the door to blessing. Second Corinthians, the second letter that Paul wrote to the same church. I put it here. Again, he hits on this subject. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly and, and not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God says it brings us joy, man, when we give. And you will reap what you sow. And so we see several principles here right off the bat for giving. First, we see our giving should be systematic. That means it should be deliberate. Verse 2, he says, set aside your gift on the first day of the week. They worshiped on Sunday in honor of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the first day of the week. Our, our giving should be uh, systematic. It should be deliberate. It helps us have a budget. Second, our giving should be proportional. He says, do it in keeping with your income. You have more, you give more. You don't have as much, you don't give as much, you know. And, you know, I believe the Bible teaches the tithing, 10%. That means tithe means 10%. That's a great place to start. But the emphasis you need to understand is on the attitude, not the amount. It's on the attitude, and we see that here in 2 Corinthians. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Don't do it out of reluctance. Don't do it because you feel guilty. You know, you do it because God loves a cheerful giver. You do it because you're very grateful and you're very thankful. We want to give out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us rather than give out of a sense of obligation. You know, and when you think about your church here, if you're part of this church, we're your family. And you think about all the things that we do here in our church and the missionaries we support. I mean, we're a tithing church. 10% of whatever comes in our plate or comes online goes to support missionaries and ministries in our church automatically off the top. You know, so we, we do a lot of that. Plus, on top of that, we have a pregnancy center and a ministry center. We, do, we just do a lot of different things, you know. But it also, here's another principle. Verse 3 says our giving should be managed responsibly. Verse 3 says you give this to men, you approve. 
You know, people who give in your church should have confidence that the funds of the church are being used in a wise and appropriate manner. And, and I agree with that 100%. And I believe we work hard at trying to erect safeguards so that the funds will not be misused. We have a finance committee made up of church members, you know, who are wise in budgeting and all that. And they look at stuff every month, what comes in and what goes out. And if we're not the government, so we don't have it, we don't spend it. If we don't have it, there's things that we don't do. Things that we want to do, we can't do. And you see our budget, we're behind now, and now we're in the middle of summer. So we just look at that. We don't spend the money if we don't have it. Uh, we seek to use the money given in, in the most responsible way possible. Uh, I don't take it lightly. We are God's managers of what he has blessed us with, and we don't take that, uh, we don't take that responsibility lightly. And this whole discussion is not about budget. It's about spiritual health and spiritual commitment. It should remind us that God wants us to serve him in every area of our life, even in our money. God doesn't need our money. He has everything. He created everything. But he wants what our money represents, our heart, our passion. We usually give our money to things that we give our most time to and things that are passionate about. God wants that. He wants what our money represents, our heart. We usually give it to what's most important to us. That's what God wants. It's, it's all about spiritual health and commitment. And so we see that that church, and for us to be a, a thankful, and for us to be effective, we've got to be very grateful, thankful givers, not just takers. We live in a world that takes. We need to turn that around, and we need to be givers. But also we see here, Paul gives a final challenge, and these final words are tucked in this last chapter. Two verses I want to spend the rest of the time with and examine with you. Here Paul lies out, he lays out principles that every believer needs to hear. Every believer needs to obey if they want their faith and they want their church to be all that God wants it to be. For us to be effective as Christians, for us to be effective in our mission as a church, to be a growing, effective Christian life requires both of these things. We've got to be tough-minded in our faith, and we've got to be tender-hearted with people. So that means we've got to be tough-minded. That means we've got to think clearly. We've got to believe soundly. And we got to be tender-hearted with people. we got to extend compassion and forgiveness the way Jesus does for us. And you need both. You know, if you reverse this, and I know churches do this. I mean, they don't mean to, but they come across like this. They're very weak-minded. They don't know a whole lot about the Bible, and they got tough hearts. You know, they're, they're weak on convictions because they want everybody to love them and appreciate them, and, and they don't want to offend anybody. But they're very hard on one another. And they gossip, and they slander. And so that kind of... That kind of that kind of church causes all kind of division, and it will not grow. You know, we need to be tough-minded. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Here's what that means. First one is be on your guard. I mean, stay awake. Stay alert, especially today. Satan hates us. He hates what we're doing. There are enemies out there that we got to watch for and be alert to. We all, me included, have weak spots. We have temptations in our life, and Satan knows them too. Our enemies know where they are too. And we need to be alert and aware of that. Satan is the enemy of our soul, and he's ready to pounce on us any chance he gets. He's always looking for that crack in the door. 1 Peter 5, 8, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking somebody, what, to devour. He wants to destroy you, kill you. The moment you and I came into this world, we were drafted into a lifelong battle with Satan and temptation. Nobody is immune to that, and you can't escape it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't escape it, so you better be on your guard. That word on guard is, is an image of a soldier who's standing, who standing guard. His job is to, to guard the security of the base or the camp. He's got to keep his eyes open at all times, and he's got to stay alert. He cannot fall asleep. 
You know, and yet I think the American church has fallen asleep. And look at where we've gotten in this country. I can't believe where we're at in this country and things that we stand for and we allow and we redefine and this and that. And, and we don't talk about things. You know, this is a, we need to be on the guard. Evil has triumphed in this country because good godly people have said nothing, done nothing. Picture a soldier here walking through a minefield as he advances against enemy lines. Every step must be careful. Uh, you know, be careful where he places that. Careful attention to everything, to the terrain. He's got to be on the alert, be on your guard, but also be firm in your faith. The military metaphor continues. A soldier you know, stays alert to attacks. He knows they could happen and come at any time. But once the battle is engaged, a good soldier must hold his post. They must not give an inch. You know, their orders are to hold back the enemy and keep their ground. We've given up ground. We've got to reclaim the ground. We've got to reclaim the territory. We, we, we must know what the Bible says and why the Bible says it. We must believe it and always stand firm in what we believe. The Christian faith is not about believing whatever you want to believe. It's about believing the truth found in God's word. That's what it's about, believing God's word. We must stand firm in scripture only. It's the Bible that's the word of God and infallible. Every word of God has been God-breathed, God-inspired. We don't need to stand firm in human tradition or human wisdom. We stand firm in what God says. We stand firm in Christ only. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. Uh, there is no other Savior. I don't care how many other religions there are around the world. And our religions are not the same. They're very different at different aspects. I mean, one of the most important issues of life, how do you get to heaven? They're very different. They contradict each other in many different areas. And yet people say they're all the same. They are not all the same. Jesus said he's the only way to the Father. There's no other Savior apart from Jesus Christ. You know, and so we got to teach that and believe that, you know, and it comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ. God designed marriage. He gets to define marriage. One man, one woman committed for life. The Bible tells us all life, the preborn, you know, the unborn, the, the, the aged, the disabled, all is worthy of dignity and respect. And the Bible tells us where to stand up and speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. Our political correctness, even in a church, has left us too thin-skinned. And we, we now live in a culture where it's wrong to say that anything is wrong. And I think that's wrong. That just doesn't even make sense. Remaining silent on a subject that God has clearly spoken about, that's not loving. That's being a coward. And when we fail to use our voice, you know what happens? We lose our voice. And we have lost our voice in America. But we can get it back again. If God has spoken on a subject, how can we remain silent? How are our children going to know what God says about these important issues of life? They don't hear it from us, the believers, the Christians. To remain silent about sin is neither safe nor sound nor loving. It's cowardly. Standing firm in your faith means speaking up when everybody else goes mute. It's saying what needs to be said. It's having those co tough conversations that require tough love. And so as believers... Man, we want to be effective as a church. We got to be alert. We got to stay awake. We got to be on guard. We got to stand firm. Don't give away an inch of your faith. No matter how slick the arguments sound, you hold your ground. You believe in what God says. He's God Almighty. It's His Word. But we also to be courageous. We're to be courageous. You see the progression here? The soldier stands guard, and when under attack, the good soldier holds his ground. And in the middle, in the midst of that attack, assault, the warrior's got to be brave. He's got to become, she's got to become a hero. They've got to act heroic. And in the battle, it says here, be a man. 
You know, uses the term, be a man of courage. You know, that means don't be a boy. Don't be a child. It means be an adult. To be a man means me to be an adult, be mature, have courage. Just as a man acting like a coward, that's a sad thing. So it is for an adult to act like a child. And yet we have so many adults that are acting like children. That was happening here at, the city, at this church in Corinth. You know, uh, there back in chapter 3, he, Paul says, I could not address you as spiritual because you're worldly. You're just mere infants in the Christ. You should know better, and yet you're still spiritual babies. Men and women of courage are willing to pay the price. You know, I mean, sometimes we got to toughen up. In, in, in the midst of the spiritual tax, we got to stand up. We got to be counted. We don't run and we don't hide. We don't apologize for what God says. We stand and we fight and we act like a man. That means we act like a trained warrior, you know, an adult, not a coward. And then we be strong. We need to be strong. That's another military term. That means we keep up the fight as long as it is needed. Real battles, spiritual and physical battles are seldom won in the day. A lot of times you study American history and the battles in our country, even the Civil War, you thought they were over. I mean, the Revolutionary War, you thought they were over. And certain things turn things around. Real battles, spiritual battles, physical battles are seldom won in a day. Perseverance often wins, you know. It often wins when you keep at it. But when you give up, man, that's when we lose. Again, the progression is clear. Warriors, And if you're a Christian today, you, man, we're in a battle whether or not you like it or not or realize it or not. We're in a battle for the souls of our children in America. And so we need to be on our guard. And when attacked, hold your ground. Don't apologize. Don't run and hide. In the heat of battle, be courageous, be heroic, and above all, stay the course. As we say, be strong, stay the course, don't get up, don't give up, stay strong. Standing strong is refusing to cower in the corner in the face of challenging circumstances. It's playing the hand that you were dealt, even though you don't like the cards you were given. And even when it's tough to keep a promise, man, you're a man. You're a man of God, a woman of God. You keep your promise. It's facing your fears. It's facing your demons. You know, when something needs to be done, you do it. You don't wait around for somebody else to do it. You see all the needs in our church and in our community. Don't be waiting around for somebody else to do it. You do it. You know, this type of person doesn't make any excuses. They don't complain. They don't slander. They don't gossip. Man, they, they want to make a difference right where they're at. So that's what they do. They, they move ahead in spite of their fear. That's what courage is. See, fear is letting your circumstances come between you and God. Faith is letting God come between you and your circumstances. Because no matter what's there, you know God's there between that. God's going to help you get through it. And the good news is that the spiritual strength we need to stay the course, to finish strong, that comes from God himself, you know. And it's ready for all who, who desire it and ask for it. Man, we need to be tough-minded in our faith. But more than that, we need, we need, it just can't be that. You know, you just can't be tough-minded. If tough-mindedness is all that there is, you know what happens to a church? And I've seen this too. Church can easily turn into a mean, hard, legalistic, ugly, fighting fellowship. I've seen that happen to, to Christians. If all you are, you know, you know the Bible. I know a lot of guys and women know the Bible much better than I do. You know the word of God, you know, but you, but you don't have love. All, you know, you, you're tough spiritually. And yet, if you're not careful, if you don't have what I'm going to talk about next, they become mean, harsh, legalistic, ugly. Man, nobody wants to be around them. And nobody's going to listen to what you got to say. Nobody wants to be around that. So there must be the balance of 
tough-mindedness with tenderness, right? With tender, being have a tender heart towards people. Man, we got to love the people we're trying to reach. That's why verse 14 says, do everything in love. Be loving in everything. That's the challenge. The Corinthians had heard this before, but they needed to hear it again. Chapter 13 makes the case for how we ought to love people. No matter who they are, no matter how much power position they have, it doesn't matter. There's no excuse for not loving people. And if you don't love people, I don't care how smart you are or how, what you got to say or what you're doing, it's not going to matter. He said, you got to love. And yet in the Corinthian church, there was a lot of unloving going on. They were a divided, fighting church. They justified their lack of love because of who they were. They were more spiritual and more mature. They, they justified their lack of love by who their enemies were, by if they, you know, by how, if they possessed certain spiritual abilities. They had more money. They knew more. They thought, man, they had the right to look down on people. But Paul insists that none of that stuff is an excuse for not loving. In everything, in all things, we're to love. And chapter 13 tells us what that love looks like. Patient, kind, humble, forgiving, truthful, never gives up. Loving like this and loving in everything affects everything. It calls for our love even in worship. We've got to love God more than our own preferences. We love God. We've got to love our neighbor and care about their needs. Love considers others. We've got to love in what we do with our giving, our time, our talents, and even our, our money. Christian people should not be known for being stingy, selfish people. we got to love not, in, not only in our giving, but in our forgiving. Getting even, even with people. Telling people off. You're talking mean or angry about people. Man, that's not going to work from here on out if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not loving. we got to love. We must love our brothers and sisters even when they are wrong or even when they hurt us. we got to love the needy around us. Jesus said the world's going to know we're a Christian by what? By how we love one another. Only when outside people see us loving each other unconditionally will they want to be inside people and be a part of us. So make no, make no mistake about it. Love's not easy. Loving like that's not easy. And not everybody's going to love you back. But it's what we're called to do. It's what God does for us, and we're called to do the same for others. So our challenge you know, is to walk this delicate balance, being tough-minded in our faith, but be tender-hearted with people. And then Paul concludes, verse 22 in this chapter, he says, come, O Lord. That's a very significant ending for this letter because Paul's been talking about Jesus, who he is, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he says be, he's coming back again. Come, O Lord. Anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. When we're reminded that Jesus Christ could return at any time, we're going to start paying more attention to what matters for eternity. We're going to work on growing spiritually. We're going to be more careful about how we treat people and what we say to people. We're going to be more careful about knowing what God's word says and, and obeying it. And we're going to be more on our guard because we're watching. But it's so easy for us to feel like there's always going to be plenty of time to take care of the God stuff, right? As soon as I get out of school, if I get, as soon as I get married, as soon as I have kids, as soon as I do this work or this career, move from here, then I'll get more serious about this God stuff. Don't make the fatal miscalculation that this life is all that there is, because it's not. There's much more to what you see. Don't make the costly procrastination that there's always going to be more time because you and I are not guaranteed a tomorrow. Do not live this life without preparing for the life to come. So what about you? Are you living your life as if this life on earth is all that there is? Are you living your life as if there's always going to be more time 
and I can get more sold out for God later. I hear people tell me that. You know what happens? The truth is they never sell out. I mean, they never get sold out. There's never enough time. Is it time for you today to give more attention to the things that really matter forever, that matter for eternity, that matter forever? Do you need to take that step of faith and put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you need to abandon the notion that you think you're good enough to make it? I talked to a gentleman this week, came in to see me, and I said, man, just off the street, doesn't even come to church here, never been here. You going to heaven? Oh, sure, why? Because, I'm, man, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. I'm kind to people, treat people. I said, oh, that's, I'm so thankful you're a good guy. We need more good guys. We do. We really do. But you know what the Bible says about that? What the Bible says you get to heaven? You know, so anyway, it's not about being good enough. None of us are good enough, you know? It's, that's why Jesus died on the cross for our sins and shed his blood and rose from the dead. We've got to put our faith and trust in him. So please don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait for some time when it's convenient. It's, you know, surrender your life to Christ today. Make the decision and commitment that will make an eternal difference in your life. Admit your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ. Commit and confess your life to him. Will you join me in prayer? And we're going to pray, and you can do just that from your heart. Dear Father, thank you for listening to us. And you know who's here that's spiritually lost. And Father, help them right now to talk to you and say, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. And I do believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And, and he rose from the dead. And I want him to be the leader of my life and the forgiver of my sins. I want to follow him the rest of my life. Father, give those a peace in their heart who, who meant that prayer. Give them courage to tell somebody. And, Father, help us as a church family and as believers to, to stand strong and not run, but be ready to fight, to know what we believe, and, and to be loving and speak the truth and love just like your word says. And we thank you for giving us that honor. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you